Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. I was out taking my dog on a short walk and to go to the bathroom. She was a rescue and was at this point terrified of everything. So getting her outside was always a task. It was 4am and she was whining at me. I figured she needed to go to the bathroom so I put on some shoes and took her outside. It was a warm night as it was July in Missouri. I'm walking down the street from my apartment complex and I see a figure standing under a streetlight, not moving. Thinking it was just a guy out for an early morning run, I kept walking. That's when this figure started to move towards me in a weird fashion. He wasn't jogging, wasn't walking, it looked like skipping. Thinking to myself oh what the f. I stopped walking. That's when my dog started growling from behind my legs. I'd had her almost 6 months and had never heard her growl or bark. I turned around and walked back into my complex. I looked over my shoulder and this dude is standing at the entrance to my apartment complex, 
head to toe in black clothing, grinning from ear to ear. I was fully in what the F is this bullshit mode and walked back into the complex further. While checking to make sure Smiles wasn't following me, I started to walk towards my entrance and he turned and slipped away into the night. I went and talked to my landlord the next day and she told me they'd had multiple reports of this guy skipping around the complex late at night but whenever the cops showed up he was gone. So this is a story from my dad. Believe it if you wish, or don't. But I think that by the end of this post, you too will believe in the Sasquatch. My dad and his buddy were adventurous in their youth. They would often sneak out at night to go for walks, along with their pit bull bow. One night they were on a trail leading through the woods. They came to a point where thick vines growing overhead blocked out the moonlight. The path fell pitch black, but my dad and his friend continued onward. They stumbled into some undergrowth and walked directly into a giant wall of hair. It grunted loudly and turned to face them. This creature stood up, at least 10 feet tall, and staring directly into my dad's eyes. Now you may think it was a bear, they stand on their hind legs right? You are correct, but bears don't run on two legs. This creature arose from its rest and upon seeing the two buddies and their pit bull, took off into the woods. Bo gave chase, and my dad sprinted back home with his buddy. They stayed on the porch the rest of the night, listening to the sounds of barking in the distance, worried about the dog. The next morning Bo returned covered in mud and dog tired. He slept all day, and didn't move. The true hero of the story for protecting my dad and his friend. My dad didn't sneak out for another night walk for a couple months after that. He feared what might happen if he crossed paths with the beast again. Unfortunately for him, he was going to find out soon enough the next time he left through his bedroom window to go for a walk. Once more, it is the middle of the night. My dad is out once more with Bo and his buddy. They steered clear of the trail they took the last time. They walked in fear, jumping at every noise they heard. They still shuddered at the thought of the last time they went out on a midnight adventure. They made it safely on their trip, but it wasn't until they made it back to the driveway that they saw it again. It was a shadow illuminated by the moon, standing tall and fierce. It turned as if it was searching for them, and for a short moment zero. As if both the beast and the pair of friends were in disbelief that they were seeing each other again. Bo breaks the stillness and gives chase once again. My father seizes the opportunity to dive into some bushes with his friend. The beast runs by their hiding spot with the dog on its heels. They take this chance to make a break for the house, but when they look back the beast turned around and was coming back towards them. Now back in the day my dad could run a 40 in 4 seconds, and this thing was on his heels. They make it on the porch and climb on top of it. They thought they were in the clear, but the beast managed to get a hand full of my dad's shirt and ripped it off. Bo had caught up at that point and chased the beast back into the woods. They never saw the monster again, but I may get the third sighting. We recently moved onto the property my father grew up on, and I am as adventurous as he was. Perhaps the beast will be seen again by myself, we can hope so, and I will surely update this if I am ever given such a chance. I believe that back when I was a younger ranger, I saw myself what many would refer to as a Bigfoot. I was currently working as a seasonal ranger for the Forest Service. I was assigned to patrol the Tombaji River, which is in Pickens County. Now, normally, this kind of thing you keep hush-hush about, but talking about it more or less just kind of helps ground in the reality of it all. I just feel like this tremendous weight on my shoulders if I don't share it. So first, let me give you some background information on myself. According to friends, family, and fellow rangers, I am an overly cautious person. Other rangers could be caught speeding while patrolling the routes or even not wearing all their proper equipment. Even though they would get away with taking shortcuts, I'm not that kind of person, though. Every time I go to work, I bring everything I need and make sure I have double. 
But even being overly cautious was one thing, this still did not prepare me for what I saw that day. That morning, I woke up to do the usual routine, making my coffee, eating breakfast before heading out on a long ride. It was nice weather, being in camping clothing was not a big deal. I always go through all these different scenarios in my head before going off into the field. What if I catch somebody fishing without a license? What if there's an accident on the water and somebody needs help? What if somebody is trying to steal something? If it's something small, we can handle it, but anything major, more than one person, we call for backup. I am working with another ranger by the name of Kelly, and I told them it would be a few minutes before my ride showed up, so we started out patrolling. We make our way through the first two launch ramps without any issues. That's when something moves alongside the river. I asked him if he saw that. We're about 80 yards away from where we were, and there's this large figure standing at the edge of the embankment down into the water. It didn't appear to be like a normal person. Its head and body looked three times the size, and it had this rustic reddish-brown fur. The closer we got, though, the more we could realize it was not a person. It quickly turned to face us as it heard us approaching. That's when we could see that it had horns on its head, glowing eyes. This thing looked like some sort of hairy demon. It did not make a sound, though, and took off like a flash across the bank, off into the timber. I about nearly pooped my pants, and Kelly starts asking frantically behind me, What? What is it? What did you see? And I just remember telling him, I'm not sure. We need to find out. Just as we're getting ready to check things out, rangers with the Florida Department of Law Enforcement show up, asking us what we saw. There was something in those woods with us that day, but it wasn't until the next day when I finally got a chance to go back and check things out, I realized how close I actually came to death. I spoke to some of the rangers once I got off work. They told me what had happened. All the other rangers were called away from their posts and had been working tirelessly for hours trying to find whatever this thing or creature was that had attacked several people. Several. How many people did this thing attack? All my friends could tell you is that I was super quiet for the rest of the week and had some pretty weird things going on, like never wanting to be in the woods and always having my gun at the ready, seemingly over paranoid. I know that whatever that was, it was real and I can never forget what I saw that day on the riverbank. July of 1995, we were dropped off to survive with a fixed amount of rations within the Pine Barrens of New Jersey. I was a new Marine. My fire team consisted of four other Marines, one Navy corpsman, and three enlisted Marines. The first night, I sent one of our group out to set up a watch rotation. The next day, he comes back scared as heck, shivering and wide-eyed. He refused to tell us what happened, so we forced him. He said he saw a thing as tall in the trees, covered in hair, with big arms and red eyes. Our corpsman immediately set up a watch with him on it. That night, the corpsman went out to relieve whoever was on watch. As soon as he was out of sight, the corpsman comes sprinting back into our camp, wide-eyed and terrified. The look on his face when he said, you're not going to believe this, told us all we needed to know. That night, I got on watch, and he told me the story. He said that as soon as it was his turn to keep watch, he noticed a pair of red eyes a couple of feet from him. Whatever it was, it kept looking at the corpsman and growling. What happened next is a little fuzzy for me after all this time but the corpsman said he couldn't see it anymore when his flashlight caught its eyes. He said that it was making these growling noises, was large and black, and a big black cat or a bear of some kind. The night the corpsman went out to relieve whoever was on watch, as soon as he was out of sight, the corpsman comes sprinting back into our camp, wide-eyed and terrified. The look on his face when he said, you're not going to believe this, told us all we needed to know. That night, I got on watch, and he told me the story. He said that as soon as it was his turn to keep watch, he saw a pair of red eyes a couple of feet from him. Whatever it was, I kept looking at the corpsman and growling. 
What happened next is a little fuzzy for me after all this time, but the corpsman said he couldn't see it anymore when his flashlight caught its eyes. He said that it was making these growling noises, was big, black, and bear-like. He said it stayed right next to him the whole time, and when it stood up, he stood up. He said when he turned to run back to our camp, it began coming after him. He said the closer it got, the more he began running. He said he ran all the way back to our camp in record time. I remember us laughing because there was no way something could have chased him back. Well, the next day, we all went to look for tracks. It turned out that whatever it was, it was as tall as a man, and it had three-toed paw prints and really long claws on its toes. It may have been a bear, I don't know. After that, we never heard anything else, and we were all fine. We even saw the Navy corpsman a little while ago, and he remembered it like it was yesterday. So anyway, we're all fine, and we're out there, and the Navy corpsman goes out to relieve whoever is on watch again. Now it's the third day, so I'm kind of out of it at this point. I mean, we're seeing a lot of deer and turkey and other signs that there's wildlife here, so that's a good thing. While the corpsman is out there, everything's fine and dandy. We're all just sitting around talking about what we would do when we got out. The more I think about it, the more I wonder where he is. Just as some of us are about to stand up and go look for him, the dude who was on watch comes sprinting into our camp, saying that something's right behind him. We all look at each other and ask him what he's meaning, and that's when we all hear the growl. It sounds like a bear but much deeper, like a weird kind of bear that I've never heard before. It is very deep, like the sound you hear in the movies when there's a monster. What came next is something I'll never forget. It reminded me of when my grandpa showed me the Jersey Devil stories when I was a kid. We all drew our guns and waited for whatever it was to come into full view. We're all looking around for it, then we see the corpsman. He's running toward us from his post, but there's something big and black following him. We all start yelling, and the run faster. Whatever was following him was not stopping. It looked almost like a large cat chasing a mouse, but a cat in humanoid form. It was the same height as the corpsman when it stood up, it was taller than any of us. The next thing I remember is seeing something black pass in front of me. Then everything began moving slowly. It was like a scene in a movie where time slows down, and all the details are there. I could finally make out what was chasing him. It came into view, it was black, it was hairy, and had wings. I can't remember seeing any arms or not, but if they were, they were smaller compared to the rest of its body. Its face was feline-like, having reddish-yellow eyes glowing. Then I saw its hands. They were almost backward but had very long claws. In fact, they were most likely like talons, just very large. It kept running toward us, and the closer it got, the more noise it made. It was like this really loud hissing mixed with howling. Just as it got closer to the corpsman, he tripped. He said something about seeing its claws going after him right before he fell. Right when the corpsman tripped, it flew up into the air. It started coming down fast. When it was just a few feet from him, I remember that's when we got to him. There was blood everywhere. The thing was pissed and now dove down at one of us while trying to retrieve his body. I don't know if it was trying to take him back to its lair or wherever it is, but we're not going to let that happen. It dove at one of us but we shot it down before it could touch him. But there was a lot of blood on the ground where he had been laying. After we shot it, it let out the scream and dove off into the trees away from us. We used this moment to grab his body, pulling him back to our camp to attend to him. I remember talking about it with some of the other guys after the incident. We all believed that the thing was not from this world. We also remember what the corpsman said right before he was taken. He was screaming but eventually passed away due to blood loss within minutes of this thing tearing him open. The only thing he managed to say before his death was, it didn't get me. Our training mission was then aborted within hours after this happened. We will never forget what happened that evening and we all wanted answers. I can't remember why, but I have a feeling someone on our team knew what it was that took him down. It was so dark. 
I think one of our team members saw something. We were all wondering what it was that attacked us. I'm fairly certain that what we had encountered was indeed a Jersey Devil. I can't be sure, but I have this feeling we lost a good soldier that day. Don't let anybody feel with these fake stories that they're harmless. He was torn open and bled out. This was no ghost or folklore, the man's gone. It's an event none of us will forget. Personally, I won't step foot in the Pine Barrens again after all this. The assignment to the remote ranger station nestled within the heart of the eerie Texas forest arrived like an ominous rite of passage. I was eager, perhaps even naive, as I stepped into this role. The whispers of unsettling history that clung to the very air seemed nothing more than ghost stories told around campfires. The tale of previous rangers vanishing into thin air held no real weight as I set foot in this dark expanse of nature. The first weeks were a blur of learning the lay of the land, acclimating to the solitude, and acquainting myself with the quirks of the station. It was only when the novelty of my surroundings wore thin that the shadows seemed to creep closer, stretching fingers of unease across my spine. My predecessor's mysterious disappearances started to weigh on my thoughts, like a dark cloud that refused to dissipate. As I attempted to settle into my new role, the forest seemed to conspire against me. Unnerving creaks and whispers taunted me during my solitary nights, and my once peaceful patrols now felt like treks through the unknown. The rustling leaves and distant howls that once held the charm of wilderness now held an edge of something sinister. Then came that fateful day, when I embarked on a routine patrol that would forever shatter my perception of reality. The air was thick with an unspoken tension as I ventured deeper into the heart of the forest, the tall trees casting elongated shadows across my path. The echoes of the past whispered through the rustling leaves, a reminder of the rangers who had come before me and vanished without a trace. My heart quickened as I stumbled upon a peculiar sight, something that defied all reason and explanation. There, amidst the twisted underbrush, crouched an unknown predator. Its long, sinewy arms hung limply against its emaciated sides, and as my gaze traveled upward, I was met with a sight that would forever haunt my nightmares. The creature had the head of a human, a human who had suffered the slow ravages of malnutrition. Its once human features were twisted in a grotesque mockery of life, its hollow cheeks and sunken eyes casting a malevolent gaze. The chest that swelled beneath its wiry arms was disproportionate, its ribcage protruding like a skeletal cage, a stark reminder of the fragility of life. What had initially appeared as a coat of white fur was, in fact, its pallid, deathly skin. A sickly white hue was punctuated by gray undertones, the entire visage a macabre dance between life and death. The eyes, however, held a horror that surpassed all else. They were half the size of its head, twin orbs that seemed to drink in the light of the sun and reflect it back with a soulless brilliance. As if sensing my presence, the creature's gaze locked onto mine, and a bone-chilling screech pierced the air. Instinctively, my hand moved to the rifle slung over my shoulder, and I raised it toward the sky, firing a single shot that shattered the oppressive silence. The creature halted in its tracks, a chilling realization dawning upon it. For a moment, we stood frozen, two entities on the precipice of a confrontation that defied comprehension. Then, with a flurry of movement, the creature turned and sprinted into the woods, vanishing into the inky darkness as quickly as it had appeared. Left in a state of shock and disbelief, I stood amidst the eerie quiet, the echo of the creature's screech lingering in the air. Had my isolation and the weight of the past conspired to play tricks on my mind? I couldn't be certain. As I returned to the ranger station, questions swirled through my thoughts, an unrelenting storm that refused to abate. The unsettling history of the forest had become my reality, and the chilling encounter with the unknown predator had etched itself indelibly into my consciousness. Days turned into nights, and nights into days, as I grappled with the enigma that had infiltrated my existence. The whispers of the past became my constant companions, 
their haunting cadence woven into the fabric of my every thought. The forest had claimed my predecessors, and now it sought to claim my sanity. To this day, the memory of that encounter lingers, a silent specter that continues to haunt my every step. The truth behind the creature with the eyes that mirrored the sun's brilliance remains as elusive as the shadows that dance on the forest floor. And as I stand at the threshold of that remote ranger station, I am left with the undeniable certainty that some secrets are meant to remain buried within the depths of the unknown. What was it? I want to state a few things. This incident takes place around one to two years ago. Initially, I wanted to post my encounter somewhere online, but the more I thought about this encounter, the more it consumed me and my thoughts. Sometime after the fact, I figured the best thing for myself was to try and forget. This didn't work, so instead I'll do my best to lay out what I saw. I live in North Carolina. It's not a small city by any means, but it's a highway town at its core. I've lived here for 10 plus years. On the night in question, I was with my ex. We'll refer to her as Z. This was right around the time when C-19 restrictions had yet to be fully lifted, so Z invited me for a walk. She was finishing up her online courses for the semester, one being physical activity. So we'd often walk around her neighborhood to reach a daily amount of steps. Anyways, we head out on this walk. It's around 7 to 8 PM, so on our way out the sun is already setting. We stick to the street, as it isn't a sidewalk and we're just walking through the neighborhood. I've been down this area hundreds of times, I drove there nearly every day to be with Z during the pandemic. It's just your average single story, cookie cutter, every house looks identical neighborhood. On our way back to the house it's dusk. A weird time of day, especially on this evening. It was almost a grey-looking atmosphere, but still illuminated enough to see the streets. Z is on a phone call for the entirety of the way back, so I'm just taking in my surroundings and waiting for the walk to be finished. That's when I see it. Whatever this thing was. About three houses down, mid-jump, arms and legs fully outstretched and leaping across the street. It lands on the other side in an instant, with barely enough time to register that anything had even happened at all. At the time it felt like a hallucination. Something fiction that my brain had just conjured up out of boredom, or lack of visual content. It happened so quickly, but this flash frame is burned into my memory now and is something that I'll probably never forget. It was huge, and 100% silent. I only caught sight of it flying across the street and landing underneath a car. It was fully outstretched and took up almost the entirety of the street. Even with its hands on the ground, its rear legs were still stretched from the jump and extended far beyond the halfway point of this two-lane road. I can only guess the size of this thing was from 10 to 20 feet in length. It looked extremely thin, beyond anorexic, but startlingly human from the waist up. 100 person dark gray. Its arms seemed to be car length, with large claws, and its legs were bowed in a way that reminded me of a dog. The only feature I couldn't make out was its face. It seemed completely black, but scarily human. Again, at the time I had no idea if what I saw was some sort of weird animal or just a hallucination. Even so, I kept my eyes glued to where I had seen this hallucination land. As I got closer and closer to the car, I almost wanted to freak out. Z was still on the phone though, so I decided to keep quiet and inspect the car for myself as we walked by. I turn my head as we slowly pass by the vehicle. At this point, I'm convincing myself that what I had seen couldn't be possible, but I just couldn't bring myself to peer and look underneath that car. As we walk away I turn back a few times, really trying to process if I lost my mind for a moment or not. By the time we get home, I feel almost embarrassed. Did I just have a stare down with a car for absolutely no reason? By the time we walk inside Z's house she's off the phone. We were kind of bummed that our walk was void of conversation, so we just catch up and converse for the next half hour. The hallucination had almost completely left my mind at this point. 
We just ended up going about our usual business. Honestly, I was just happy to be spending time with my partner. I was ready to accept that what had happened earlier was nothing more than my imagination. I had forgotten about the experience almost entirely. Until Z asked me something out of nowhere. Did you see something jump across the street earlier? My story is short and takes place many years ago when I was a kid in the early 1980s living in southeast Missouri. My parents and the neighbors were hanging out having a few Miller lights in the neighbor's yard and we kids were playing. It was shortly after dark when we decided to play tag. For those of us that have actually gone outside to play in the suburbs know that this is a perfect time to play this game. My neighborhood was like most, I guess. But my neighborhood was near a creek that ran for miles and passed by several thick stands of trees. So we'd been playing a while when I ran away from whomever it was that was it. It was at that moment when I saw something, a huge almost glowing white shape walking between two trees in the yard in front of me. It looked like a mixture of the Patterson, Gimlin Bigfoot and one of those costumed villains from Scooby-Doo. It quickly passed behind a tree and was gone. It didn't reappear on the other side. I was so shocked and terrified that I couldn't take my eyes off where it had been. Then I ran straight into another tree knocking myself silly. After the excitement of me hurting myself was over, I told my brother about it and he, like everyone else I've told since, thought the same thing, that I had imagined it due to nearly knocking myself out. But I know what I saw and that I saw it before I hit the tree and to this day I can still see it in my mind as clearly as I did that late summer evening. I've gone on to call whatever I saw, Bigfoot's ghost. I wanted to report something that happened to my daughter and two of her friends back in 1989. My daughter Roxanne had taken a trip with her school friend Kimberly and Kim's brother Keith down to Ocala, Florida to stay at Kim's grandmother's house for the weekend. Kim's grandparents had a home deep in the woods down a long dirt road. We're still trying to figure out approximately where they lived since my daughter was only 11 years old when this happened and kids pay little attention to details at that age. The three of them had taken their bicycles and were riding them down the road in the forest. The road was typical Florida sugar sand which makes riding not as easy as a hard road. Suddenly a huge animal walked out of the woods about 40 yards in front of them. They all stopped as the massive creature walked across the road from the animal. According to my daughter, they recognized it immediately as a Bigfoot it was looking directly at them as it crossed. She said it never expressed any kind of emotion on his face and showed zero concern about them seeing it. On the other hand, the kids were terrified. She described the creature as being massive, and at least 7 feet tall, but maybe more. She also said it definitely was not an ape, but the face was human-like and covered with hair. Furthermore, she said it had huge hands. It could have probably covered their whole heads with one hand. She said she did not see any claws, just long fingers. The head appeared slightly domed and the color she described as being like a sun-bleached brown, basically brown with reddish highlights but not orangish like an orangutan. They did not see anything that indicated gender. The face was more flat as opposed to having a snout or a muzzle like a bear. As soon as the Bigfoot entered the woods on the other side of the road they turned their bikes around and bolted for the house. They described their escape as terrifying in the soft sand that impeded their speed. She said that as tall and built as the creature was there would have been no way to outrun it if it had pursued them. As soon as they got to the grandparents' house they all ran inside exclaiming that they had just seen a Bigfoot. The grandmother was in the kitchen baking a cake and blew it off saying they probably saw a monkey since there were occasional monkey sightings in the area. Some places, like Silver Springs, Florida, not far from Ocala, have large populations of monkeys from the days back when Tarzan movies were filmed there. I recently spoke with my daughter about the experience she insisted that it was not a monkey or a bear and that the animal just appeared too human-like to be an ape of some kind. She said it walked on two legs just like a human does. She says it bothers her this very day, 
and that she could not rationally explain what the three of them saw that day. But they saw it clearly in the middle of a bright hot sunny day. The year was 1990. Desert Storm and Nelson Mandela being freed from prison. I and three friends, while serving in the British Army, traveled to Brighton, England for a few days of our and our holiday. The weather was particularly hot that year, we were wasting no time enjoying it. My friend Andy and I decided to go for a walk along Brighton Pier, famous for its amusement arcade and ice cream. Whilst there we got to speak to two young German girls from Nuremberg and we hit it off immediately. They spoke broken English and we tried our best World War II movie German Commandant accents with them. For the next few hours we all laughed and joked about everything with each other and the language barrier became less of a distraction as the evening wore on. One girl was a blonde and the other a redhead. Both beautiful and way out of our league, and yet they liked us and wanted to know more about us. As we were both in the awkward teenage years, myself and Andy didn't know which girl liked who and I was just glad to get some attention from the opposite sex. After a while, we all decided to meet again at the same time and place the next day. They left the pier to join friends while we waited for our other two friends to join us. The following evening, filled with nerves and apprehension, I and Andy made our way to the pier. Standing at the entrance were these two beautiful German girls all dressed up in tight dresses waiting for us. I couldn't believe my luck. We all walked to the pier and got some food before deciding we should all go to the cinema to see Bird on a Wire starring Mel Gibson. I and Andy looked at each other, knowing that this would be the ideal place to find out which girl liked who. We made our way to the pier exit but at this point for the strangest reason ever, Andy walked ahead of all of us and ran across the large open road in front of us. I called him back but he continued to run toward the other side. Knowing that he was heading in the wrong direction to the cinema, I apologized to the girls and asked them to stay where they were so I could return my idiotic friend. I ran over to the other side, approximately 20 meters in width where he was standing at. I grabbed him and said, what are you doing, the cinema is this way. He could not provide any reason or rationale for his behavior. At this point, we both quickly headed back to the other side of the road but to our bemusement, the girls were nowhere to be seen. This is less than 10 to 15 seconds since I spoke to them. Now if you could picture the scene at Brighton Pier. It's a long wide open road that stretches out a long distance and would require some amount of running for the girls to hide, especially running in the dresses that they were wearing. We looked everywhere for the next few hours, searching the pier pretty extensively but to no avail and eventually giving up and being annoyed with Andy. The next day at the same time, we came back to the pier to seek out the girls but they never showed up. The next day we had to leave to go elsewhere and never got the chance to speak to those two German girls from Nuremberg. Andy and I lost touch not long after that but caught up 25 years later. After a few war stories and some alcohol, the topic of Brighton came up. We discussed what happened that night. Maybe after all this time, Andy would have a different view of the story that I had on it but he didn't and to this day he still felt as I did about it, spooked. We both discussed, where did they go and what happened? Why did Andy walk away without reason? How could we not see them run away if that is what they decided to do? So many more unanswered questions. To this day, I don't know if those two girls from Germany are alive, dead, or just part of our imagination. Or, was it something more paranormal? I'm kind of an avid amateur photographer, and one night around 4 am I was out alone in the Firehole Basin region of the park. The goal was to take a long exposure photo of a geyser erupting with the Milky Way stretching through the sky overhead. The photo turned out to be pretty much a bust, when geysers erupt they blow massive amounts of steam into the air, and steam kind of blurs that whole beautiful night sky situation. But anyway, I parked my car and hiked a ways to get close to the geyser I wanted to photograph, then I set up my tripod, adjusted all the settings, and waited for the, eventual, eruption. 
The night was crystal clear, perfectly quiet, and very cold. As my ears grew accustomed to the lack of sound, I gradually realized I could hear the gentle burbling of the spring that gives birth to the Firehole River, some distance behind me. I could hear wind in the trees and leaves rustling across the ground. In front of me, I could hear rumbling and hissing from deep within the earth, as the white dome geyser worked itself up for another, inevitable, eruption. An owl hooted somewhere above me, and I could even hear the distant howls of wolves across the bowl of the Midway Valley below. As my eyes grew accustomed to the darkness, I could see the Milky Way stretched like a river of light from horizon to horizon overhead. A million, billion stars shined above, brilliant and cold. Orion hung over my right shoulder, and Venus burned just above the horizon, so bright it almost hurt to look directly at it. And then behind me, loud and sudden, the pounding footsteps of a giant. Clearly coming right at me. Bear? Bigfoot? Some hideous monster, born in the hell of a geyser's boiling mouth, spewed upon the land to wreak vengeance? I didn't know. But I knew it was coming, and I knew it was close. The buffalo actually brushed against me as he went past. I was frozen in place. Resigned to my fate. A huge bull, a mountain of fur and horns, shambling up out of the darkness, steam billowing from his nostrils in the cold, dry air. It felt like a close encounter with a freight train. He strode past like I didn't exist, seemed to tiptoe gently around my tripod, then stopped about ten feet in front of me and took a long, slow, very satisfying, steaming piss on the ground. Then he grunted and went on his way. And I stood there wondering how I was going to take a photo, if the geyser blew before my hands stopped shaking. I walk at night in my rural area regularly. I've encountered black bears, coyotes, bobcats, angry deer, and everything on down, with no real concern. But the creepiest encounter, was a little black pickup truck with rainbow and unicorn stickers. Bubblegum pop music blaring, and it smelled like cotton candy when it passed me. First time it passed me it swerved to hit me. I jumped out of the way easily. I thought nothing of it really, just figured they were startled by seeing me at night with my reflective gear. The truck circled back and comes at me again. I saw it coming this time and grabbed my dog up just in time to jump into a ditch. I heard little girl laughter, high-pitched and maniacal. The tiny truck circled back for a third go at me, but by then I was hiding in my neighbor's shrubbery. I watched it slowly drive down the road, hearing giggling as it passed me. Fortunately it kept on going and I made it home just fine. The incident took place in November 2012. The gas station was a lonely building just off the highway and was the only service station for miles around. It was around 3 AM, and the attendant was going about his normal duties when the power suddenly went out, plunging him into darkness. Using his phone as a makeshift light, the attendant made his way back to the backup gas generator and switched it on. The backup lighting came on, but only the parking lot and the hall to the register were lit up. The rest of the gas station remained in darkness. The attendant figured that the bad weather was probably to blame for the power outage. That was until he saw something moving at the edge of the darkness. He watched intently for several moments, eventually making out what looked to be three children riding bikes. Almost as soon as he saw them, two leapt from their bikes and made their way over to the gas station. They stopped at the doorway and stood staring at the attendant. Now a little unsettled but still not overly concerned, he made his way to the door and opened it, asking the two children if they were okay and stating it was late for such young kids to be roaming around near the highway. One of them, a young girl, asked him if she could use his phone. As he handed her his mobile phone, her eyes met him, and the attendant saw that they were solid black orbs. No, the girl snapped, I need the real one motioning to use the landline phone in the gas station itself. At this point, fear finally overtook the attendant, and he pushed the door shut and locked it in one move, 
shouting as he did so that the girl should go home. The children stared at the attendant through the window for a moment longer before turning around, getting on their bikes, and riding off into the darkness. The following morning, the attendant told his boss of the ordeal and requested that he go through the security cameras. However, they had been off due to the power outage. It is not known if the power going out was connected to the black-eyed kid's arrival or if it was just an unusual coincidence. I lived in Lac du Flambeau, Wisconsin in August 1994. Seven of us were joyriding in my dad's car, and I was driving. It was about 10 p.m. on a summer night. We came up to a stop sign and noticed that there were, what we thought were kids, playing on the swing sets at the grade school. Which was about half a block away. I pulled up at the school and whoever it was, was gone. I pulled up into the horseshoe drive all the way and that's when we saw it. Hovering above the tree line. I could see the outline and the color was white. There were two white lights at each end of the wing tips. Everybody started to scream and holler go. 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 And then the third light lit up. Kind of. It opened almost like an eye pupil. Like dilating. The light was an orange color. I floored the gas pedal and we spun out of there quick. I didn't hear it make any noise because we had a little boom box in the car. We were listening to Metallica and the song Green Hell was playing. Plus everybody screaming and crying. We went to my friend's house and she told her dad about it. He grabbed a flashlight and we went back. He went into the woods and found nothing. He went home and we all went to a local pizza place, told other friends about it, and drew pictures of what we saw. We all saw the same thing. It was getting late and the pizza place was closing. So I went to go start the car and it was making a horrible noise. Like if you were to keep turning the ignition when the car was already running. Everybody took off running like it was gonna explode. My friend's brother opened the hood and unhooked the battery. Had to leave the car there and walk home. I have never been so terrified walking home alone. When I got home my dad wasn't home but my mom was. I told her about it and she didn't say anything. I heard my dad come in later that night and he was angry. Telling me I better go get his car. My mom told him that we had seen something and he didn't believe any of it. I couldn't sleep all that night. In the next few days, I heard that there were other sightings. Not in the same place but within a few mile radius. I guess that I should add that the school was on a lakefront and that one of the other sightings was above a lake. I went to this kind of outdoor education boarding school when I was 14, 15 in the Victorian Alps in Australia. We hiked the mountains in that area almost every weekend usually doing two to three night hikes, sometimes longer. We had heard from teachers and locals that there were hermits in the mountains who lived in shacks or drifted between the old cattlemen huts. We just brushed them off as stupid stories that the teachers tell you to spook you. However, we did this one hike at the tail end of winter that kind of led me to believe there were actual hermits living in the mountains. Basically, we were doing this four-day hike at the end of winter so it was super gloomy, foggy and cold the whole hike. The Victorian Alps are famous for their cattlemen's huts which are all over the high country. We would hike from hut to hut, but we rarely stayed in them because it was one of the school's rules. So we were hiking on the second day on this steep ridge and it was mega foggy and cold. You couldn't see into the valley, only down the sloping edges of the ridge. When you're hiking long distances you don't really talk the whole way and since it was miserable we all just had our heads down walking straight. Out of the corner of my eye, I thought I saw a black dog about 50 meters down the side of the ridge. It wasn't a dingo, because it was jet black and had a collar on. Looked kinda like a border collie. I had only just registered it was a dog in my mind when I swear I saw a man walking behind the dog. He looked homeless and was looking up at us. Bear in mind it was really foggy and this guy was darting in and out of trees. I turned around and told my mate I saw a dude and his dog on the trail below. He was still visible so I pointed him out and my mate freaked a little too and told everyone else to look. 
in the moment of getting my group, six guys, to stop hiking and all look, he was gone. Everyone other than myself and my mate who saw him shrugged it off as a day hiker and his dog. We joked it was a hermit but didn't speak about it much after. We arrived at our campsite which was the Vallejo Gartner hut. We couldn't stay in the hut so we set up camp on the flat ground around it. We set up, cooked dinner and got ready to sleep. I didn't think much about the man and dog I saw earlier but now it was getting dark it kinda crept into my mind. There is this awesome toilet at this hut that overlooks the valley below. Honestly an awesome shitter. It was almost dark and I need a shit so I headed to the loo. As I was sitting there and looking at the view, I was feeling a little creeped out, I don't know why. Now, one thing to note is that these huts are all covered in scribbles and people's names little sayings etc. Like literally every inch too is covered in something. So OFC you never really read anything on the walls if you stay at these huts like every weekend. Though as I reached for the toilet paper these words literally jumped out at me. Run. Run. He's coming. Run. I never wiped my ass faster. Combined with what I had seen earlier and my creepy feeling I just bolted out of the bathroom into my tent. The guy I was tenting with actually was the one who had also seen the dude so I told him what I saw in the bathroom. We both became pretty paranoid and just sort of laid there for hours not making a sound. Eventually, I went to sleep. Shit really gets weird when the next day we woke up to find huge portions of our food missing. We keep the food in the outside bit of our tents, in our hiking packs and then inside zipped bags. Half of my group's outside tent flies were undone with the packs open and food bags were strewn over the ground. We thought it was a wombat originally but the bags were literally unzipped and our hiking packs had buckles to open them. My thinking was the dude I saw earlier was a hermit and followed us to our camp and stole our food at night. Honestly creepiest shit I have ever experienced. I didn't have the best relationship with my uncle. It hadn't always been like this though. I remember my childhood and how we'd spend a lot of time together. Sometime after I turned six though, he suddenly went dark and his visits nearly ended completely. He used to come around about once every two months, and then out of the blue, I was lucky to see him once every 10 years. He had nearly become a distant memory when I received a phone call from him asking for me to visit him. I was going to say no, but he then dropped the bombshell that he was dying. Years of smoking had caught up to him and he didn't have much time left. He even offered to pay for my flight. My uncle lived on a ranch far removed from other people. I think his closest neighbors lived about 20 miles away from his patch of land. He seemed to enjoy it this way and I had wondered about it before. I would soon find out why. I knocked on the door and it opened to reveal the smiling face of my uncle. He was far removed from the memories I had of him, just barely recognizable but that's what 10 years in cancer do to a person I suppose. He invited me to sit down and we exchanged a few pleasantries and general chit-chat. My uncle had brought out some snacks which I had enjoyed as a child. I honestly didn't like them as much now that I was older, but I didn't want to say that and just thanked him. It was after an hour that he got to the meat of the matter. Now, nephew, he said. He actually used my name while talking but I don't want to reveal it so I'll just replace it with nephew for the sake of this and I'll address him as simply uncle. Are you still big on the whole saving the rainforest thing? Oh right. Um, yeah. I still want to help protect the environment. I've started a project to help save a type of frog within South America, and there's this big my uncle raised up a hand. Sorry, I would love to hear all about it. I did love your stories back when you were little you had such a vivid imagination. Honestly, though, I never thought that you'd actually embark on a journey to become a real environmentalist, but I'm glad you did. Nephew, I don't have a lot of time left, and so I want to get straight to the point. He took a deep breath. Do you believe in monsters? Monsters? I asked, confused. Yes, my uncle said. Monsters. They exist. You might not believe in them now, but you will once this is over.
I don't understand, I said. Let me ask you another question, do you believe that every species on earth has a right to be protected? He asked. Well, yeah, I said. And if you had the power to save one of them, would you? Why yeah I would, I said. My uncle relaxed a little. He then got up to get his rifle. Do you know how to use one of these? Yeah. Dad taught me but I've never actually used one of them in a dangerous situation before, I professed. You probably won't need it, but take it anyway, he said. I'll explain what this is about, but I need you to come with me somewhere. We then spent 15 minutes hauling supplies to the back of his truck. All in all, it was probably enough to last someone several months and I was honestly confused as to why my uncle would need that much. While he drove me to our destination, he started talking again. Do you believe in Bigfoot? Sasquatches? He asked. Bigfoot? I said and laughed. The town where I grew up had had a Bigfoot sighting 10 years ago. It wasn't all too famous outside of it though, and I doubt anyone outside of our town has even heard of it. Well you see, when you think of stories of ape men or the like, my uncle continued. You'll know that the Native Americans also had similar stories of seeing such creatures. That seems to tell me that they probably are real but that leads to another question of course. Why haven't we ever found one? It's said that at one point, the population of humans on Earth was only 10,000, but we bounced back from that. If we assume that there are even one-tenth that amount of them around, only a thousand, we should still have found traces of them. Dead bodies. Excreta. There should be videos of them migrating for food. But there aren't any and all you can find is very bad grainy footage occasionally. So they're not real then? I said with a shrug. My uncle shook his head. There's an easy answer to that paradox. The reason we haven't found them was that they were hunted to near extinction. By people like me. I was waiting for the laugh indicating that this was a joke, but it never came. It was after my stint in the army I was looking for work and I was an experienced hunter to boot and so some suits from the feds came round to try and recruit me. They said that I had to hunt a kind of ape and I needed the cash at the time, so I agreed, my uncle said. I never really found out why it was that the government wanted them gone, my uncle said. Some of the other hunters had their theories. Some said we were harvesting their organs. Others said that we were going to clone them to make super soldiers. Some people thought that the Bigfoot was actually more advanced than us and would threaten our position as the dominant species on this earth. I have a far simpler theory we hunted them because we wanted their land. Bigfoot tends to be rather docile most of the time, but they are also very territorial. Some people must have died at one point because of them while encroaching on their land, and the government realized that we had to wipe them all out. Of course, this isn't the 1800s and if the public got wind of it well, it would be bad so the project was kept hidden. I was pretty good at it, my uncle said. I had a total of 339 confirmed kills. I never thought anything of it at first. I just thought I was hunting any other kind of animal. Until one day. I was all alone tracking two of these creatures when one of them almost got the jump on me. I managed to kill it with a lucky shot, thank the gods or else I wouldn't be here today. The other one ran away and I went after it. I was able to finish it off 20 minutes later, and I followed some of its older tracks to a small enclave in the woods. His hands began to shake a little and I offered to drive. No, it's fine. I had never seen a child before then. A child Bigfoot that is to see. Well, a baby animal was still an animal, after all, so I raised my gun when it did something none of them had done before, it spoke. I had heard roars and growls before, but never actual words. Two syllables. Mama. It said them again and something else and began wailing. The way it said that it kind of reminded me of you, nephew. He smiled fondly. I know you can't remember, but I remember holding you in my arms while you spoke your first words. You were so adorable back then. His smile vanished. It was then that what I was doing hit me. 
I wasn't saving humanity from some rabid animals I was wiping out another species which was maybe as smart or even smarter than us, my uncle said. I never mentioned what happened to anyone else but I quit some time later. I'm sorry I wasn't around more while you were growing up I secluded myself here. I had too, he said and then stopped. We had arrived at a small clearing. He handed me the rifle and got off the truck. There's something I haven't told you there was a reason some of us thought that the Bigfoot was superior to us. They have a special skill so to speak. At first, we thought they had some kind of telepathy but no, they're able to communicate with a special type of sound wave that travels for hundreds of miles. It's at a frequency humans can't hear, but once we use special equipment we were able to detect it. That's why it's so hard to find them once you encounter one that one will contact every single other one in a hundred mile radius and tell them to run. My uncle pulled out a strange flute. You know what a dog whistle is right? This is kind of the same thing. Up till then, it had occurred to me that this might have been some sort of elaborate joke. My uncle wasn't really a prankster, but maybe he had wanted to make me laugh one last time or something. That or maybe the medications were interfering with his reasoning ability. He played something on the flute, and nothing happened for 10 minutes, even though my neck kept turning at the slightest sound made by the forest. Every twig snapping or bird chirping nearly made me jump as the suspense dialed up to a crescendo when I finally told myself to relax and take a deep breath. And then I knew that my uncle was perfectly sane and hadn't been telling me some weird story. Out of the corner of my eyes, I saw a dark figure emerge. Now, you've probably seen some footage or drawings of Bigfoot. I'll say that many of them are reasonably accurate you're looking at something about 8 feet tall which is very ape-like. That is to say except for the face. That face was surprisingly human, and it made me wonder how it was that my uncle kept killing them without a bit of remorse for so many years. It had a strange way of walking and paused after taking two steps. It pointed a finger at me. Who? Is? He? The words were deeper than any other voice I'd heard and a little garbled, but the meaning was clear enough. He's my nephew, my uncle said. He then pointed to his truck. I got you all I need. But, I'm dying. I won't be around for long. He then turned to me. I, I hope he'll keep taking care of you. But, my time here is up. He began to cry, something I'd never thought he'd do. If you want to kill me, you can do it now. A chill went down my spine. I was the one who killed your parents. I think you know that my uncle continued. You might as well take me out of my misery now. The thing raised a hairy fist and I raised the rifle reflexively, but my uncle put up a hand to stop me. This is what I want. I hesitated, and that was a fatal mistake. Even if I wanted to, there was no way I would have reacted in time to save my uncle. But no killing blow came. Instead, the thing pointed a finger at my uncle and said, Mama. Tears flowed down my uncle's face like a faucet. After all this time? I helped my uncle, who was sobbing so it was really me doing all the work, unload the supplies and we drove off. What was that about? I asked him angrily. Were you really going to let it kill you? It's a he, my uncle corrected. And I have done so much wrong, nephew, throughout my life. Raising him was just a partial atonement for my sins. I know it isn't enough. I can't even walk into a church and confess my sins to anyone. He then paused. I am sorry though. I didn't want to drag you into this, but someone needs to keep supplying him with food. I keep him hidden, but if he goes out to forage for food he'll be found someday and this place isn't big enough for him to live off the land. Why this rifle then? I asked. Because, my uncle said. I was worried that he might try to kill you as revenge instead of me. After all, I killed some of his family, he might have considered that to be fair. But I wouldn't let him hurt you. Of course, I was completely wrong. I was thinking about what I would have done. But he isn't like me. He's much better and bigger of a person than I am. It was then that I realized what my uncle had been talking about earlier. The monsters he spoke of. 
He wasn't talking about the Bigfoot I had just seen. He was talking about humans. Part of it must have been about himself. Most of it must have been about the other people who had organized the hunt for these creatures, who still walk the earth freely with no guilt in their souls. So what do I have to do? I asked. My uncle's eyes lit up a bit. Will you do it? Will you take care of him for me? My uncle said that he would leave his investments totaling $12 million, hunting Bigfoot apparently paid very well, as well as the ranch. It would be more than enough for me to keep the place running I could even hire some helpers to work on the ranch, though he advised against it as some of them might talk. My uncle died three months later. I was with him when he passed away as he couldn't confess his darkest sin to the pastor he confessed it to me instead. For the last four years, I've been running this place mostly smoothly. Something strange did happen the last time I went to supply him. Behind him, I saw two shadows. One was a bit shorter than him, and one was even shorter than me. It appeared that he had found himself a partner, and even a child. Where had they come from? Most likely he had signaled to her using the special call he had. The two of us didn't talk too much, but I did tell him I was happy for him. He smiled back and said, thank you, brother. For many of you who enjoy hunting for Bigfoots, not in the sense that my uncle did, of course, I just mean people who like searching for signs of Bigfoot. I have a message to pass on to you all. Don't bother you'll never find them. They know to hide from humans. Many if not all of the sightings you hear about are just hoaxes. I even have the suspicion that many of the hoaxes are done by the government to discredit true sightings. But, I know that I can't solve this problem alone. If people don't know what's happening, the few remaining ones will be killed. And I can't save a species like this. I need to get the word out to let the public know what the government's been doing behind your back. And we can't let them continue. I have devoted lots of time to saving these creatures, but I can't do it by myself. Already, I know many of you will dismiss this as a tall tale. But for those of you who do believe, remember, the best thing you can do for these creatures is simple, leave them alone. In case you do find one or think you saw one in the area, maybe you could leave something to eat for them, but it's doubtful that they'll come back to that area. After all, even I wouldn't trust humans after what they've gone through. 